I've heard merchants many times saying, yeah, I'm not a technology guy or I don't understand much fraud. So those things are less important for me to dig into. I'm not sure that this is the right approach. And I don't think that you need to be a technological person or a fraud expert in order to evaluate the technology a fraud prevention vendor has. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. My name is Alon Livne, and this is the fourth episode of The Full Card, a Riskified podcast in which we bring you insightful conversations about the e-commerce and fraud landscape. Through their many conversations with merchants, Riskified's sales team is a source of knowledge on the pain points, needs, and goals of online retailers. In today's episode, we talk to our director of sales, EMEA and APAC, Raz Visarabin. For anyone considering amping up their fraud prevention toolkit, Raz doles out tips from how to define needs and expectations to assessing available services and technologies and what this all looks like in a COVID world. Hi, Raz. Thanks for being here today. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm very happy to be here. Raz, I want to start off with, uh, with an easy question, with a softball. What's the last thing you bought online and what was that experience like for you? Two pants and a hat. Um, and actually the experience was really good. Two days afterwards I received the package. It was completely seamless, very easy, great prices. So incredible experience. That sounds very good. Yeah. As our director of sales, you talk a lot of merchants through the process of evaluating a fraud prevention solution. What are the questions that merchants bring up most often? This is a great question, and I think that the answer depends mainly on the challenge that the merchant is facing, and I'll elaborate a little bit on that. So let's say that the merchant has a, a chargeback problem. Maybe they are already on the Visa or MasterCard program, or they feel that their chargebacks are way too high and can be reduced. Usually their questions would be, how you can help us reduce our chargeback rate? How you can take us off the Visa and MasterCard program? So this is if there are chargeback problems. Some merchants are experiencing very high declines. You know, marketing team are investing a lot in conversion. And when conversion is not so good and there is a high decline rate due to fraud, one of the main things they would ask, how can you actually help us? And how would you know that those transactions that we have are transactions that are falsely declined? And another thing, it depends how the, the structure of the merchant and the fraud prevention process looks before they come to Riskified. But many merchants are using manual review teams. And I think that now with COVID, we also saw that companies grew their online volumes very significantly. Many times the manual review team cannot keep up to speed with this and starts to collapse. So one of the things that merchants would want is how you can help us automate the process, reduce the transactions that we are sending to manual review teams. So those are some questions that merchants ask. And of course, questions that are around the cost, the fees, the prices, etc. And do you think those are the right questions that merchants should be asking? So those are definitely right questions for merchants to be asking. I'm just not sure that those questions are sufficient or the most important ones for merchants to ask in order to reach the right decision of what fraud prevention solution they do want to partner with. So what questions should they be asking? I think that the main question is what they can actually gain from partnering with a fraud prevention solution and not just looking at it from an aspect of cost, which is definitely a crucial part and something that is important to understand from a vendor. But I think that the more important question to ask is what are the things that the merchant can gain from a partnership with a fraud prevention solution? And another thing that is really important for the merchant to understand is what are the places in the payment flow that they are losing revenues in and how those things affect customer experience. 
We all live in the Amazon world that the standards that customers has for their experience is extremely high. The younger the audience is, by the way, their standards are even higher. And when you are thinking about the gain that you can have from a fraud prevention solution, one of the main thing is increasing your approval rates. Now, increasing your approval rate is not necessarily only important for increasing your revenues, but also to customer experience. The most horrible thing from a customer experience perspective is to be falsely declined. You went into the website, you searched for the items that you want, you found them, you filled your cart, you want to check out. You know that you are a legitimate customer, you take your legitimate credit card, and eventually you get declined. So partnering with a good fraud prevention solution can definitely increase your approval rates and improve your customer experience. Another thing that is worthwhile to take into consideration as a potential gain is increasing the operational efficiency, whether it's by reducing the transactions that will be sent to manual review, avoiding tweaking and changing rules constantly on a weekly or on a monthly basis. All those things can really help improve the operational efficiency. And another aspect is everything around disputing chargebacks. That is most of the time a very time-consuming and resource-intensive task for merchants. It's in the space of fraud prevention, because if you are not preventing the fraud, then you end up with chargebacks. Some of those chargebacks will be liar buyers or friendly fraud. You will need to fight them. It takes a lot of resources from your teams that they can do other things with this time. It sounds like what you're saying is that merchants should look at fraud prevention in a more holistic view to understand the influence that it has on other aspects of their business. Absolutely. Yeah, so what I want to ask you is if they're looking at it now as an engine to grow their sales, when a merchant is evaluating a new fraud prevention solution, what elements should they consider? The first question a merchant should ask itself and a decision a merchant should make is whether they are interested in evaluating a chargeback guarantee solution or a scoring solution. Once they make this decision, I would narrow the evaluation only for the relevant solutions, because those are two very different types of solutions that can provide very different benefits for the merchants. What about the technology behind each solution? So the technology is definitely something that uh, is important to spend the time on. You know, I, I've heard merchants many times saying, yeah, I'm not a technology guy, or I don't understand much fraud, so those things are less important for me to dig into. I'm not sure that this is the right approach. And I don't think that you need to be a technological person or a fraud expert in order to evaluate the technology a fraud prevention vendor has. A few tips for evaluating the technology when you are assessing a fraud prevention solution is to look at the size of the R&D team, the number of data scientists and fraud experts, because at the end of the day, in order to build a robust machine learning solution to prevent fraud, you need to have a very large and talented R&D team. You can ask to understand what tools the fraud prevention vendor developed internally in order to fight sophisticated fraud and fraud rings and in order to prevent the more risky attacks that a merchant can have. And external data sources that the fraud prevention vendor is using, something that can really help the accuracy. And something that is extremely important is understanding what database the fraud prevention vendor has, what is the size of the database, what's the relevancy of the database. So let's say that you are a high-end fashion merchant. It's really important to understand if the fraud prevention vendor that you are evaluating has a lot of data and has expertise in this specific vertical. 
If you are tackling a specific geography, really important to understand if the database is relevant to this specific geography that you are all trying to expand to or operating in. And I think that one more point that is worthwhile taking into consideration when you are evaluating a solution is the flexibility of this solution. And let me elaborate more on this or explain it a bit more. Majority of companies, especially the larger ones, when they come to purchase a new product prevention solution or to assess it, they already have a system in place, another vendor that is providing them a service, sometimes again, manual review teams and everything. And in many cases, they would not want to rip and replace everything and change in one night from one solution to another. Some solutions are not so flexible in what they offer, and mainly you can decide whether you want to use them for all the volume or not at all. And some solutions are more flexible. And I think that the flexibility of a solution, for example, using it only for the most challenging segments. We have a Chinese merchant that is doing great in China, but find the traffic that they have and the volumes outside of China is really challenging. So this is an example that you can work with a fraud prevention solution only on the segments that you find challenging, whether it's a specific product or a specific market. And this is something that can bring you a lot of value. Merchants partner with a fraud prevention solution on average once every three to five years, which means that this is a long-term relationship. What do you think merchants should think about going into such a long partnership? The main focus of merchants eventually when they are evaluating a fraud prevention solution is on the performance side, ensuring the highest approval rates they can have with the lowest cost that they will have for fraud, lowest chargeback. And it's very easy to kind of overlook the mechanisms that will ensure that the promised performance by the fraud prevention vendor are going to be met after you go live. This is really different between a scoring solution or a chargeback guarantee solution. And I think it's worthwhile to talk for a moment about this. If you are a scoring solution, at the end of the day, you don't have a way to guarantee the performance that the merchant is going to have. And usually what you would say is that using the, the new scoring solution that the merchant will implement will enable you to have an X amount of chargeback and a Y percentage of approval rate. The question is, how would you know that this performance that was used in order to build a business case and in order for you to be able to make the decision are actually going to be met after you are going live? Now, if we are looking at chargeback guarantee solutions, you know, you send them the transactions, they give you a decision whether to approve or decline. So they have full control both on the chargeback or on the cost that you are going to have for preventing fraud and also on the approval rates that you are going to see because they decide whether to approve or decline the transaction. And then in this case, what's very important to look at is when you are building this business model and the chargeback guarantee vendor is telling you, okay, you are going to have a 95% approval rate and the cost that you are going to have is 0.5%, how do you know that the approval rate, the, the cost is going to be fixed, right? That's what you agree with the vendor. But how would you ensure that the approval rate will actually be met afterwards? So something that is really important not to overlook is to ensure that you have some kind of commitment or that you spoke with other merchants in order to understand that the vendor is actually going to be able to meet the promised performance. And moreover, Ask yourself if the proposal you received is actually sustainable or whether it might be too good to breathe through. If this is not really profitable also for the fraud prevention vendor, this is not going to be sustainable. And what you are going to see is a decrease in performance over time. Now, you might tell yourself, 
Yeah, no problem. If performance will deteriorate, I can just leave the agreement. But the thing is that unless a catastrophe would happen, you would probably not leave the agreement. And the reason you already invested so many resources, both in evaluation and moreover in the integration itself, and this is why on average it takes three to five years for merchants to actually switch or change the fraud prevention solutions that you are using. Merchants looking to partner with a fraud prevention solution are obviously doing some kind of cost-benefit analysis. I know you believe that most of them get this analysis wrong, or at least only partially right. What are the figures that they should be looking at? Great. So we talked before a little bit about the cost of fraud and that you don't want to take into consideration only the chargeback cost, but also the manual review cost that you have and the existing solution and data enrichers if you are using them. But something that many times is less being brought into consideration when thinking about the cost of fraud are the false declines, are the revenues that are being declined. We touched it a bit earlier, but false declines doesn't lead only to loss of revenues. You are losing the lifetime value of those customers. You are damaging the brand reputation by wrongfully declining good customers. And moreover, if you are in a competitive market, you are actually pushing your customers, your legitimate customers, to shop with your competitors. Because if I wanted to order something and I got declined, let's say a flight, I want to order a flight and I got declined by a specific online travel agent, there is a very high chance that the immediate thing that I will do because I do want to purchase this flight and I will get the same product from another merchant, that I will just go to another OTA. So after we touch the cost of fraud and the false declines, I think that another very interesting point that many times, and this is something that we see over and over again, and I must say that I find it a little bit surprising, is how merchants perceive 3D Secure. The perception that many merchants has is this is a great way to prevent fraud. It's safe for them because they don't have the chargeback liability for the transaction that passed 3D Secure successfully. And that basically it's a win-win, right? We are not liable. We stop a lot of fraud. And best of all, it's free. And best of all, it's free. Yes, exactly. But the question that we can all ask ourselves all the time, do we believe in free meals? When I see a free meal, I probably understand that there is something hiding behind this. 3D Secure is great in stopping fraud, but it's also a conversion killer. The reason, if we spoke about Amazon before and the pattern that Amazon had on the one-click order, customers are looking now for completely seamless and frictionless checkout processes. 3D Secure is doing exactly the opposite. It poses a lot of friction on the checkout process. And what happens is this friction leads to drop-off. In some markets, even very high drop-off. So the acceptance of 3D Secure differs a lot between markets. For example, in the UK, 3D Secure is relatively expected. So the drop-off that merchants will see for using 3D Secure is less significant. But if we are looking at another huge market, which is the US, 3D Secure is extremely not accepted. Customers are really not used to this. And it leads to very high drop-off. And in many times also, 3D Secure is not very accurate and it leads to very high decline rates. Yeah, it's important to understand that both consumers and fraudsters behave differently around the world. And just speaking to that, a lot of merchants look to international expansion as a growth strategy. Can you tell us what place fraud prevention has in cross-border expansion? If you look at different markets, fraud tend to behave very differently. You also have sometimes different data points that you can take into consideration. The most obvious one would be AVS, Address Verification System. 
that is a really important data point in the US, doesn't exist almost in Europe and in other countries. So data points are different, risk level are different, fraud patterns are different. And what happens many times for merchants who are trying to expand outside of the areas or the countries that they feel comfortable in is that they experience high fraud when they expand to those new territories. Now, there are two options for merchants when they expand and they are not ready. One is that they will take a risk-averse approach and they will just not approve as many good customers as they can because they are afraid of getting a lot of chargebacks and being hit by fraud. Or that they would say, we opened this new market, we invested a lot in this, we want to maximize our sales and revenues and penetration to this new market, and then they will be very heavily hit by a lot of fraud because they are not prepared. They don't know how to prevent fraud in this new market. By the way, Mexico, Latin America are great examples that we saw again and again and again. Merchants from Europe, merchants from the US trying to expand to those territories, being hit very heavily by fraud. It even led one of the merchants that is working with us to temporarily shut down the market completely until they chose a new fraud prevention solution. In this case, it was Riskified and only then reopened the market. So I think that as part of the expansion strategy, it's really important for merchants to ensure that they are also ready from the fraud perspective, fraud prevention perspective when they expand to new markets. So Raz, I want to connect us back to what's going on around us today. Obviously, e-commerce nowadays isn't exactly what it was six months ago, with the pandemic having a huge impact on economies all around the world. Since you've been speaking with merchants throughout all of this time, what kind of changes have you noticed? The main thing that we can see in e-commerce is in the last few years, a huge growth year over year in the rates of e-commerce and its acceptance. But I think what the pandemic did is actually it accelerated it very significantly. And if we are thinking about very large companies that has very strong presence in their real world brick and mortar stores and also online presence, Suddenly what we see, which is very sad, by the way, that overall they are losing a lot of the revenues and the revenues are decreased very significantly because of the pandemic. But the online side of things experience huge growth. Some of our merchants experience three times the volumes online, five times the volumes online, even eight times the volumes online during the pandemic. And I think that those things are going to stay with us. And this is something that is going to expedite a lot the growth of online globally. Are you seeing merchants that are spurred to amp up omnichannel, expand into new markets, new products? And do they have new fraud prevention needs because of it? So I think something that is interesting to touch here is buy online, pick up in store. What happened in many countries now is that stores needed to shut down for a period of time. We are experiencing in different countries already like the second wave. So we see again that stores need to shut down. And one of the things that many merchants adopted in this time is a pickup point. So you will buy online, but you will go and pick it up from a specific point. And buy online pickup in store is a segment that tends to be much more risky. You have less indicators when you need to assess the risk because suddenly you don't have the shipping address which you can identify whether this is related to the person who is making the transaction. So merchants started to experience more fraud when they started to shift to this pickup method. And this is something that for existing merchants that we had, we were able to help very significantly. I think it's, it's very interesting. I was just researching this for something else that I wrote. 
Bopis is becoming more and more popular over the past few years. And in countries where it's crossed a certain threshold of popularity, the risk level actually begins to decrease. So the more merchants offer Bopis, the more legitimate customers choose to use Bopis, and then the risk of fraud is lower. But it's, it's a work in progress. We're still not there. Absolutely. And another problem that many customers run into is when they have to return their goods. We've seen people becoming creative, for lack of a better word, with what they do in order to get their money back. Exactly. And I think that this is something that we saw not only with physical goods, but both with physical goods and digital goods. So what happened now is basically, if we are thinking about flights and hotels, people booked a vacation, booked a flight, and the airline didn't give them the money back. So what many people did is what we call liar buyer or friendly fraud. They said that it was not them and they filed a chargeback, a fraud-related chargeback. Same thing, by the way, we see with people that think about it, that lost their job, maybe made a relatively large purchase. And the last thing that they really need now is a new shirt or new pair of shoes. And the easiest thing to try and do is to claim that it's not you and to file a chargeback and to hope to get the money back. Now, especially in those times, merchants were flooded by those kind of disputes and chargebacks. Many merchants didn't know really how to cope with this wave of flyer-buyer chargebacks, and they ended up paying them. So the ability to, one, automate such a process, and two, being very effective in identifying who are the customers that are the liar-buyers is extremely important. The last thing you want to do, especially now when the times are so troubled, is... For someone who filed a fraud-related chargebacks and his credentials or his credit card was compromised, to fight his dispute wrongfully and to claim, no, you are lying to me, it was you, you made this. So I think that this is a very fine line that merchants need to walk. So just be mindful of this. On one hand, to be respectful for your, for your customers and not insult them. On the other hand, not to be taken advantage of in those times. Yeah, I think there are preemptive measures that merchants can take because a lot of the problem we saw during the height of the pandemic was that people were scared to get out of the house to go return something. And so some of them went and filed a chargeback instead. And as a response, we saw some merchants that extended their returns period or opened up new channels for returns, just made it more streamlined to help customers return their products instead of taking, you know, the chargeback path. And that's also a good way to stay ahead of the curve and solve the issue before it becomes a major problem. Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you very much, Alon. It was a pleasure. You gave us such a wealth of information. So for listeners that want a deeper understanding of the issues we discussed, you recently wrote a five-piece blog post on how merchants should approach the process of partnering with a fraud prevention provider. And we're going to put a link to that in our show notes. So be sure to check it out. Thanks, as always, to my co-creator, Amarel Venkert. To be the first to know when our next episode comes out, don't forget to hit subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.